Hello and welcome to episode 9 of Prep to Pivot season 2 where we explore different aspects of making pivots in careers with expert guests from academia, industry veterans across banking, retail, hospitality, diplomats and research faculty from top business schools across the world. Today as expert guest we have with us Professor Vijay Sundar M who is currently an assistant professor and experiential learning program ELP chair at the Indian School of Business. Additionally he is an affiliate faculty at the Max Institute of Healthcare Management and an advisory board member at the Center for Executive Education at ISB. Previously he was the head of business process excellence at the World Bank Group USA, AVP at Barclays and quality leader at American Express and Citi. He's a Six Sigma Master Black Belt from the from ISI, quality lead in auditor and lean facilitator with over 18 years of industry experience across global corporate. Professor Vijay holds a PhD in operational excellence from the Indian Institute of Technology IIT Madras and MBA summa cum laude from the Sri Satya Sai Institute of Higher Learning and gold medalist in Bachelor of Engineering from Anna University. Professor Vijay was among the world's top 2% of management scientists 2021 list published by the Stanford University based on a composite research score. He has authored two books and more than 50 research papers in reputed peer-reviewed international journals. The American Society for Quality (ASQ) in 2022 awarded Professor Vijay with the prestigious Global Crosby Award for his extraordinary contributions to the field of quality management for business executives, researchers, academics, and practitioners. It's an absolute honor to have you with us on our show today, Professor Vijay. Thank you so much for taking the time out to conduct this interview. And now that we've understood your career path so far, I'd like to understand why you chose to start your career initially with the robotics, process automation, banking, and what was that turning point that made you pivot into academia and research? Thank you, Ruchira. Thank you for inviting me for this podcast today. Um, it's an interesting question to uh, look back. What made me think to do this career deviation from? Uh, the industry professional to become an academic today. Mm, firstly, if I think about why did I even choose industry in the first place, it is purely because of uh, the passion which I had originally. After my MBA, I was thinking that the industry has a lot of potential mm. to learn new things right. because that was the time where things were changing significantly in the corporate landscape. um after the recession um there was significant new things that were happening in the industry for example people are talking about digital of course we were talking about digital for quite some time now but when i finished my mba uh, about uh, say 18 20 years ago that was the time when the digital uh, sprouts were emerging in the industry uh, many people started talking about digital but what i found was there was a lot of vagueness mm-hmm. so i felt it's a good opportunity for me to go and put some of my logical thoughts uh, in solving some real time corporate problems using some of the digital technologies some of the algorithmic thinking and also trying to see if this can bridge some of the social problems in the world today uh, when i mean social problems i mean uh, talking like women empowerment or it could be employment in the rural sector mm-hmm. can digital really help solve all these problems right. as corporate organizations are we only focusing on making profits are we also uh, behaving like win win corporations where i win by making uh, profits but i also give back to the society so these were some of my interests which have 
put me into the corporate job first because I felt there is a lot of opportunity there right. to explore and learn about these things. Having said that, after spending 18 years in corporate and seeing the real problems, how they are getting solved, I felt that I should go behind my passion. Okay. Uh, my true passion was in teaching and in research. Um, especially when it comes to research, we would be able to solve some of these real problems in a very scientific approach, which corporate may not be able to uh, have uh, the time or effort to afford for a very scientific methodology uh, or a research lens to solve these problems. So I had the document right uh, in my personality to look at things in a more deeper way, mm -hmm. put a scientific lens, a data lens, an argumentative lens over that in order to look at these problems. But surprisingly, what I found was once we put this uh, research lens over a real world problem, the way we solve the problem, the complete paradigm uh, looks so different. For example, let us think about uh, digital transformation as a topic by itself. Uh, when I look at it as a practitioner, I look at digital transformation, how can I deploy it in an organization? How can we ensure that my organizational assets are aligned towards that? How can I measure the success of digital transformation? These are some questions which I can think as a practitioner, mm -hmm. but as an academic, now I can look at these problems more scientifically. For example, when I am deploying a digital transformation in a firm, how does my people react to that? How does my processes react to that? Or how does my uh, existing technologies already in the organization integrate to that? So these kind of uh, nuances, the, this, uh, the very micro foundations of a particular topic can be unfolded through scientific research. And that, that is why I felt there is a great opportunity for me to make a career deviation, to go behind my passion. And it is only purely because of my passion, I made a deviation from corporate to academia. Right. So uh, while you were having a career in corporate, how did you know that research was something that you would wanted to do? Okay. So you mean to say, how did I explore my passion? Yes, absolutely. Uh, that's an interesting one. Um, when we when we look at um, the corporate way of looking and solving problems, uh, what is more important there is speed. Right. Because as an organizational leader, I cannot afford to put uh, one, two years of time to solve an organizational problem right. unless the problem deserves a long-term uh, uh, solution. Uh, so many times we hear problems uh, in organizations now and we may have to come up with some quick win solutions or some analysis and try to fix the problem within a day or even sometimes within a few hours. Mm -hmm. uh, this is where consultants, uh, uh, this is where organizational leaders have been trained in a way that we come up with such solutions. But when we honestly ask the question to ourselves, are we trying to attack the root cause of the problem? Are we trying to solve the problem really in its scientific sense? Mm -hmm. Many times the answer may be no. Right. Uh, we may solve the problem. Um, of course, we are living in a dynamic world. The problems could change in its nature periodically. But are we trying to attack the cause of the problem? To answer that question, we need more rigorous scientific analysis. And that is where we need data. That is where we need some procedures which have proved uh, more effective. For example, can we conduct an experiment and manipulate some variables and still see 
will the problem be resolved or can I go ahead and do some empirical study uh, on a field data and see how can some of these variables really uh, solve a problem. Now these kind of things require a research infrastructure and um, that is where I explored that there are a few problems which need quick fixes in the world but there are few problems which also need rigorous research in order to solve it. So in order to tap the latter, mm -hmm. I found that I'm more excited when I'm doing this kind of rigorous scientific analysis and also to share that knowledge with uh, young students who are the future leaders of this country was also quite exciting for me and that is how I explored that I have a passion of research and teaching within me. Right, that's, that's really interesting to know about the why you made this deviation. Now, I wanted to understand that when you decided that you wanted to work in research, what was it about operational excellence and digital transformation that excited you to do research here? Okay, um, so operational excellence by itself means doing things um, in, a, in, a, in a way that it will consume less resources. Um, and resources here could include human resources, financial resources, technological resources, or even knowledge resources for that matter. If you're able to keep your bottom line uh, perfect, that means if, get, if it can hit the bottom line impact of an organization, and in turn, if you can deliver to your customer, either your products or services in good speed or in good convenience, or at a lower cost mm -hmm. through which you can achieve a competitive advantage of passing on the low price products to the customers or a high quality product to the customers or a quick uh, delivered products to the customers. Now this phenomena is what uh, is called as the body of knowledge of operational excellence. Okay. Now this existed for past uh, several years even I would say from 1980s we have been talking about operational excellence. Mm -hmm may not be in this term called operational excellence but there are many streams of knowledge like lean like total quality management like six sigma uh, these existed for past several years so this is not a new phenomenon mm -hmm. what is new in this phenomena is if we look at operational excellence through the digital lens mm -hmm. it gives a new flavor to this entire body of knowledge because today gone are the days where customers used to trade off between speed to quality Right. Uh, if I think of Domino's earlier, we used to have this uh, famous tagline which says that, hey, if you cannot get a pizza within 30 minutes, right. you get it free. Uh, but if you look back into that, a customer will not accept a bad quality pizza even if it is delivered in 30 minutes. Right. So we are not really trading off for quality to speed or speed to volume. Mm -hmm. uh, so these uh, operational um, measures or metrics become equally important in the digital era. So this is where digital can play a significant role, not only to tap on one organizational capability uh, to deliver on speed or quality or delivery or timeliness or consistency, mm -hmm. but through digital transformation, we can really make all these ors as ands so that you can give everything that the customer wants consistently in good quality in faster delivery. So that is where operational excellence and digital transformation can work together mm -hmm. and that intersection can really solve uh, big problems in the world today. Um, so this is how I see the intersection between these two topics and that intersection is my research interest. 
Right, that that's really interesting because as you mentioned, operational excellence had been around for quite some time, but you know, intersecting it with the digital lenses, what is the new phase as well? So, when you first started your uh, job as a researcher, what was something that was more challenging than you thought it might be? Anybody else, when you take a career deviation, uh, you are in a new landscape, you Completely. are in a new place, you are in a new industry. So the newness was of course challenging to me. It, it takes some time for anybody to adjust into a new profession because uh, the way your success measures change from one profession to other profession are quite natural, isn't it? For example, if I were to be a car, how do I assess my success? I would say, hey, how many customers did I keep happy today in my business? Uh, how many new ideas were I able to contribute to my uh, organization? How many real-time problems? It could be people problems, it could be process problems. How many of them I really resolve today? Um, so these could be some of my key measures. Of course, all of this will have financial impact on organization and that's what would uh, create a sense of satisfaction at the end of the day as a corporate profession. But this changed uh, quite a bit when I took a career deviation. In the academic world, uh, the measures of success are quite different. Right. If I have to put myself in the day uh, today that I live, I would divide it into three parts. One is teaching, one is research, and mm -hmm. third is service to uh, the education institution which I work with. Uh, so when it comes to teaching, my measures of success is about pure student satisfaction. Uh, when I see the students enjoying the class, when I see a smile in my student's face when I'm teaching something in the class, the kind of participation and the interest which students show by asking some interesting questions. Mm -hmm. These are all key metrics of satisfaction in right. teaching. Most importantly, when students argue on a different line of thinking than what I have been believing for past several years, that also gives me a lot of satisfaction. Because knowledge grows only when we question the status quo. And I'm a strong believer of that. So when my students say, hey, this is not the way I think it should be, why don't we look at the same topic in a different way? That is where the satisfaction sprouts for uh, a teacher. Uh, so these are all some of my key success measures in teaching. When it comes to research, of course, there are very tangible measures. When you have a good publication in a top journal, it gives you a success. But apart from that, there are many tangible uh, satisfaction measures also in research. I strongly believe that means are as important as ends. Mm -hmm. So what methods you use in research, uh, what kind of data you collect in research, how much you struggle to collect the data, how interesting is your research question. All these also matters, not just where did you publish it at the end of the day. But of course, if all these are in right ratio, there could be a good publication at the end. <laughs> There's no doubt about it. But there are several other measures like this, which also gives uh, satisfaction. And thirdly, service to the institution. Um, so there are a lot of things that we can serve back to the institution. For example, I had a couple of committees. Uh, I'm chair of a program in the institution. So there are administrative duties when we perform. How well are we able to navigate the, the, the stakeholder nuances around that also gives satisfaction. So now when I compare back the key measures of success from industry professional's life to an academic professional life, these are some of the differences that I can see and understanding and adjusting to these KRAs, of course, took a little time for me.
Absolutely. So uh, I think one thing that I realized from your answer is that, you know, as a professor, you have to balance your time between developing class material, teaching classes, doing research, giving back to the institution. So how do you balance your time and maintain productivity, switching so many hats? This is a very, very interesting question, Rishika, and I must uh, answer it in two parts. Yeah. Firstly, I, I need to tell you about the uh, about the fact that how passion can really drive our productivity. Um, honestly speaking, today on an average, I work for about 12 to 18 hours uh, a day, but I don't get tired about it because I feel I'm working on what I really enjoy. Um, so if I teach about 300 hours in a year, I'm not tired about it. If I have to create new pedagogical material, which could be a game or an activity or a case study, uh, I, I feel more happy that day. Uh, so it is not about how many hours you have put there uh, to create that outcome, but how much happy or passionate you felt about creating that outcome really matters to productivity. So on those lines, though I put more hours at work today uh, compared to what I was putting in my uh, mm -hmm. corporate job, today I feel more happier and more passionate uh, about doing that. So that is the first way of Probably this is a philosophical answer to your question, but I feel there is a lot of uh, drive uh, yeah. of passion towards productivity. Now coming to how do I balance between different hats that I have to wear, all of these hats though they appear discrete are actually overlapping with each other. For example, when I, when I prepare a course material to teach a course in the class, the first question I think about is how can I present this topic to the students in a more interesting way? Mm -hmm. So my predominant focus goes on the how part, not on the what part, because uh, we deal with students who are the rich cream of our country. Um, they are the best of best talent that we get into uh, institutions like ours. Now, what would I teach a student who is already aware of a topic which I intend to teach in the class? And most importantly, today we have everything uh, available on our libraries, everything available on our digital uh, uh, content. So there is honestly the role of a teacher more here is how can I present it more interestingly to the students where in a session of two hours, how can I give a wow moment to a student in learning is the first uh, item on the table when I sit to prepare for any course. And this is not only for preparing for the courses. For example, if I have to teach a particular uh, topic on say, how does digital transformation as a motivation for organizations uh, for, for the benefits today. How do organizational leaders get excited about digital transformation? I mean, talking about this could be five bullet points on the board. Yeah. Uh, like you get financial benefits out of it, so you should be motivated. Uh, the whole competitors are moving towards digital transformation, so you should do it. So if I put five bullet points on the board, also I can convey the same material to my students. But unlike that, if I do a role play in the class, yeah. If I get a case study in the class, then this triggers a lot of good participation from my students and students enjoy that kind of discussion. So when I prepare to these kind of courses, I put my effort towards creating the how answer or the wow factor to the students. But the real turning point happens when I really present that in the class. When we actually present what we prepare in the class, there will be a good number of students who will think very differently from how we generally think when we are preparing for a course. Uh, I still remember uh, when I put effort in a class for doing a quiz uh, uh, in a recent course which I taught, 
there was one student who was surprised that uh, hey you are teaching two sections in this course then there is there a possibility that some of these questions that you are asking in the class could overlap with the other section now this is a very interesting question and as a teacher uh, it is my responsibility to think that i am fair to all the students right. who take up the questions in the course now these kind of counterintuitive this is a simple question there is no rocket science here but we did not think about that perspective which a student could bring by asking a question in the class now this will feed into what should be a research gap that needs to be filled in here of course the example which i gave you may not reveal a research gap <laughs> because that's a simple question okay. but many times in the class when students ask counterintuitive questions that is the feed i take for research so my teaching is a feed for my research and that gives more in depth analysis to ponder if i were to solve this question using a simple method is it giving a same result if i were to solve it using a more deeper more scientific method there could be differences in my findings so teaching and research are more related to each other if i have to put it in a in a single word i would say teaching is about knowledge sharing the research is about knowledge creation right and this is a circle this is a beautiful positive circle which will feed to one another so research comes to classroom and the student counterintuitive questions goes back into the research for the future analysis so balancing different hats is actually easier in this profession um because students co-create value uh in in the education sector many times we as teachers uh, get into this myth that is student my product is student my customer of course they are of course student is a customer student is a product at the same time student co-creates value for research as well as teaching that is that is what i believe in right i think that's a very beautiful way of describing the entire cycle of students and research and your work as well so uh, coming from a pre mba research background itself i found out that being aware of what is happening in in your industry is one of the most essential parts of being a researcher so in that way while you are balancing so many hats what are some of the ways uh, or how do you self educate and keep yourself uh, at the top of what is happening in your industry um yes it is very important at least in uh, uh this profession to keep abreast about what is happening in the industry because uh the problems that we talk about are very different from what we talked about about 5 to 6 years ago um because there are there are a lot of changes happening in the vuca world um and keeping abreast about what is happening is definitely essential now how do we do this uh firstly students bring a lot of new perspectives because every student who is coming to the classroom of course does good homework about the topic and its relevance to the industry so as teachers we learn a lot from students number 1 number 2 uh, in a day of 18 hours that i put into work roughly i would spend at least 1 to 2 hours focused on uh, reading uh, new material it could be new material through research journals or research papers or it could be new material on the media uh, um, so all these uh, outside in views which can help us to gather knowledge is the second mode that i rely on and thirdly networking is a wonderful weapon for keeping ourselves abreast about what's happening in the industry so to keep us to keep us more um, closer to the reality of the world which is dynamic uh, on a day to day basis uh, in my opinion networking is a great weapon because when we network with new people you get to see new perspectives of the old problems 
or you get to hear about the new problems in the world. And this is an important agenda for any researcher. Um, so research is not desk work according to me. Research is more about talking to people, learning new questions, exploring the new agendas and this is all possible through the three ways I said. One, keeping our mind open for the new research published out there, media and the news articles. Number two, students who come to the class who bring the industry knowledge to the classroom. And thirdly, networking with the industry colleagues uh, at uh, the, the top level or the mid-management level of any organization. Right, I think that's very interesting and that feeds right into my next question. That given that uh, the research that you perform is at a business school, so there is a sort of industry phase to the research that you do, uh, how critical would you say is networking even as a researcher? Oh, networking is very important because, um, see, in networking it's always about a win-win that we create with uh, a dyadic uh, relationship that we talk about. I mean, a network could be uh, at a minimum between two people or it can can proceed to many others as well but at a, at a minimum level what can you bring to the table as a value add and what can you receive back from the other person whom you're networking is a very important aspect and this is where the win-win synergies uh, uh, emerge in networking and that's why I feel networking is a very important agenda now how do I connect back my research to industry practice and how can I enable networking out of it so if I do a research, an academic research, which gets published in a, in a, in a journal uh, publication, um, so many times we don't see the other side of the findings that we make on the uh, research. But it is important aspect for networking. For example, if I'm talking about uh, uh, crafting a digital technology strategy, what is the right way to craft a digital technology strategy? Now, the question to ourselves is, can this be a value addition to a practitioner out there sitting in an organization? If so, will a practitioner read my uh, uh, academic research, research publication? Many times the answer may be no. Correct. So we need to get into the outlets where practitioners will be more interested. So what I generally do is, if I get one uh, journal publication in an academic journal, I write a practitioner uh, article out of the same results in a practitioner language and I try to target a, a, a practitioner outlet probably say like a California management review or a Stanford social innovation review or even uh, 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 at times at a Harvard business review. Now this is where you can take back to the practice world about one, two, three things that the practitioners need to do on a particular topic and they may not be interested in how did we arrive at the result uh, unlike an academic uh, uh, professional. but the findings, if they can find some application in industry, is where a practitioner gets excited. Now in a networking agenda, if I take this as a topic, yep. like if you can show value to the people that there are, there is research which can solve the real-time industry problems out there. And in a very crisp and precise fashion, one, two, three points to a practitioner, that will trigger a very good networking agenda uh, in practice. So this is how I generally focus on networking and I strongly believe that networking is a wonderful managerial weapon. Right. I think from the answer that you mentioned that the way that you use networking just bridges the gap between research and practice in a very strong manner. So in the Knowledge Nugget segment, uh, my final question to you would be that having had two successful careers, uh, what kind of lessons or what advice do you have for students like me who are starting out their careers? Okay. Um, 
I think um, students today have many things on their plate. And that's how our educational system, our current uh, uh, institutions are all uh, providing a variety of options to students. It's a great platter, a bouquet of things in front of students. And when we are in an educational institution, as a student, we get exposed to a lot of things. Because the purpose of doing that is students should realize how it tastes when it actually is touched or felt in a particular platter. Every item has its own taste. Now when a student goes out into the market, uh, instead of tasting many things in the platter, unlike what we do in an educational institution, it is important for students to identify what is their passion when they tried many things during their stay in an educational institution. Uh, it is very important to explore this passion earlier uh, before we pass out of the institution and earlier we uh, kind of explore this more time a student can spend in deepening that into the personality of, uh, of a student. Now this if you can translate into our profession right for example uh, if, a, if a student is excited about writing or kind of conducting interviews mm -hmm. uh, then the question to think about is what kind of professions will be more suitable for me which can still pay me uh, for my job at the same time it can keep me happy because it is linked back to my profession mm -hmm. so uh, my piece of suggestion for the, the students who pass out of uh, the institutions every year is first try to identify your passion just because there are so many things that you are exposed to, uh, of course, you should try all of them. There is no doubt about it. But once you try all of them, try to find out which of them gave you a lot of happiness at the end of the day. And that is where your passion is. When you are working on what item in this platter, you felt more happier. That is the spark that we need to identify. And this exploration is very, very important in a student life. And quickly, as soon as you find this wow factor, see what professions would be linked to this passion and the key success is if you can turn this passion that you have explored into your profession where it can pay for you for your daily job i think that is that is what will keep uh, happiness to you in a sustained way so this would be this is what i did in my life and this is what i would share with my students also if i have to share that one key point to the students passing out Right. Thank you so much for that piece of advice. And finally, we move to the network and chill rapid fire section. So we have five quick questions for you. So the first question would be, what do you wish that your younger self knew about your current profession? To be childlike. Okay. How to be childlike. Um, okay. I know it's rapid fire, but if I can explain no, no, that. Don't. When I mean how to be childlike, I think um, as children, we all have curiosity to learn new things. Mm -hmm. When we see the world for the first time, we have that excitement in us. Hey, what is this? Why is it moving? Why is it speaking? Why is it doing something else? So that curiosity is very important in human beings, according to me. So if I have to uh, pass on something to my younger self, I would definitely say the childlike nature, which is important to drive curiosity of learning, mm -hmm. uh, which is important in my profession. Right. Uh, the second question would be, who is someone in your industry that you look up to? Um, in the current world or somewhere, anytime any, in the any past. Um, I would look up to uh, Edward Deming. 
Um, Edward Deming had many uh, interesting ideas when he came from the US about changing the economy, changing the industry, changing the ways of working. But the, the best part of uh, uh, Edward Deming's life is nobody gave it here to him. Okay. Nobody really found uh, that what he said really would add value in the American economy. But he never stopped. But he never stopped because he believed what he said is absolutely true. So our belief in the conviction in what we are saying, if it is so deep, then he found that there is a huge set of the world in Japan which heard them. And he is the one who contributed to rejuvenating the Japanese economy of what it is today to the quality movement. So I personally have a great regards to uh, Edward Deming for this uh, passion. Yeah. Uh, all right. If you weren't uh, a professor doing research right now, what do you think you might have been doing? Um, if I were not to be a professor, then um, I would uh, definitely... I started my career as an engineer where I did not... Uh, really enjoy the engineering world. Then I did go into a B school where I felt most of the things which I was learning was more common sense organized <laughs> in a certain way. It is only when I was a researcher I found that there were underlying nuances about what have been heard, right. but there's a lot of depth in what you're doing. Mm -hmm. So I feel the depth can be realized when you're dealing with children. Okay. So if I were not to be a professor, then I would have run a, a daycare where I can deal with children every day and uh, find the deeper thinking moments uh, in, uh, like a child. So that, probably that, that could be that's my... That's really unique. <laughs> uh, okay, what is something that you're currently reading and what would you recommend to our audience? Any book? Yes, definitely. Uh, I recently read a book uh, which I also kind of uh, suggested to my students in a recent course which I completed. Uh, this book uh, titled What to Do When Missions Do Everything. Uh, the title is so catchy, that's why I booked, uh, picked up this book. The book actually talks about today in the digital world, we have a digital solution for everything that we have been doing in the corporate world, uh, whether it is uh, the transactional work, whether it is a decision-making work, whether it is a quality control work or even the reporting work. So everything, whether it is cognitive or rule-based, there is a technology today, right from robotics to artificial intelligence to IoTs to cloud to blockchain. Then what do human beings really do in this world? It's a big question that the book tries to answer. Mm -hmm. So that is a book which I would recommend to all the young people in the world uh, to read it. Uh, I'm sure they will enjoy reading it. Thank you. And the final question is, what is one question that you wish I had asked you today in the podcast? What would you have liked to talk about? Um, you have asked me all the questions which, which I generally like to answer. Uh -huh. um, there, there are a few things which I feel that we should also discuss in any any of these kind of meetings is what is there in life beyond our work okay um, because balancing your life makes you a more productive at work mm -hmm. is what i strongly believe in when i say I work 18 hours in the job that doesn't mean i give my time for my life i give my life uh, time to my wife i give my time to my child i give my uh, time to myself many times mm -hmm. um, so i think uh, we also need to explore the angle of how do we live as a happy human being firstly before, before becoming a professional before becoming a, a corporate professional or an academic professional whatever we all are human beings at the end of the day and as human beings are we able to express some of the the basic human qualities like i'm able to cry when i am upset about something i'm able to uh, uh, share my happiness with my colleagues celebrate my success going out for a party 
uh, having having a having a good dinner with my family these are very very important aspects of our life and i think often we get into discussions where we focus more on our work how can we successful in work is important question but how can we will be successful in life is also an important question so i think i think that that is another interesting area that we can chat Absolutely. Thank you so much, Professor. This has been such an insightful conversation. I'm sure our audience would have a lot of takeaways from it today. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you.